It's good to see you here as our children make their way out of the sanctuary. You can pick up your child in the fellowship hall today. Uh, they're going to be doing some things in the fellowship hall. And so uh, the fellowship hall is out to my left. It's the next building over on my left. If your child wants to go with Miss Rhonda today, then they are free to do that. And uh, she's going to tell them about Christ and in such a way that... Um, uh, that they're going to hear about the Lord uh, today. And so we're thankful for our children. I just got to be honest, I wept like a little baby up here watching Powers baptize these children. Uh, uh, I'm so thankful for Caden and Gage. And I'm thankful y'all's families are here to watch this. And uh, I'm looking at two dads in the house. I pray for you men uh, to raise your families to know Jesus. They're looking at you just like my kids are looking at me and then Powers baptizing his own family, his own children and uh, just getting to hear over the, the, over the years what God has done in his household with his children coming to salvation at different times. It's just been absolutely wonderful. And of course, his family down here on the front, I'm thankful for you guys being here, our teenagers being saved, wanting to stand up in front of everyone. It's incredible. It's incredible. Teenagers getting baptized is a, is a huge deal. It is a huge deal. It does not save you. Baptism doesn't save you. If you're here, you've never been baptized, but you profess Christ. Baptism does not save you, but it is commanded. And it is a, it is a part of walking with Jesus. I would tell you, your next step is to be baptized in front of the church, letting the world know that Jesus Christ has saved you. I pray for you. If you're here, you've never been baptized, but you profess Jesus Christ, would you come see us? Come talk to us. We'll, we we want to walk with you through that process. We'll stand with you in the baptistry, baptize you. Let everyone know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If that's you today, you have an opportunity for that. Uh, come talk to us about that. Maybe come down during invitation time. Say, hey, I need to be baptized. We'd love to talk with you through that, and we certainly will. Zach, i got to tell you, Zach in here. Did he come back into the service? Where are you at, Zach? Would you raise your hand? Uh, I had hair just like you, and the Lord took it away from me. The Lord took it away from me. He humbled me. He humbled me by stripping every strand away. Just like, I, I used to do that. I used to do that. I used to do that. You know, I used to come up out of a pool and flick that hair back. I used to do all of that. The Lord's got a way of of humbling us. That was one of his ways he's, he's done it to me. So, um, but I'm thankful for y'all's testimony. Glad you guys are here. Let's get into the sermon and uh, empowers just once again, brother, you and Blakely, I'm just so thankful for what God has done in your family. Where you right here. I'm, I praise God. I praise God for that. So Philippians chapter number four, let's jump into this sermon. And, uh, and so uh, we're going to look at the last two verses. We've been in the book of Philippians for 13 weeks. This is the 13th sermon. And some of you are going, praise God, we're getting out of the book of Philippians. But it has been a wonderful, wonderful study. It has just been hot. So many different to topics have been highlighted. And I really didn't want to skirt the last two verses of this, uh, uh, the last three verses of this text. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is a closing uh, salutation, if you will. I know that that comes at the start of a letter. Uh, the closing salutation comes toward the end. I, it's probably not called salutation. I did call it that. But Paul's shutting this book down, and uh, these three verses are not meaningless Christian cliches. 
okay? This is not like looking at someone and sending them a text message or calling someone or seeing someone out and them telling you something and you go, hey, I pray for you, and then you really don't pray. You know, that meaningless Christian cliche that probably all of us have been guilty of, and we need to really repent of that. If we're going to tell somebody we pray for them, we need to pray for them. Can I get an amen in the house of God, right? Uh, this is not meaningless Christian rhetoric here. There is, there is, there, there is a forethought in these words. The, the Spirit, obviously, I believe, pins these words. And I think that these words in God's Word, uh, the last three verses, are useful uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I, I think that we can glean from this passage. Let's read this together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 21, 22, and 23 as we close down this letter. Hear the word of the Lord today. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Verse 23, and we're done. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, be with your spirit. Lord Jesus, help us to understand your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to preach on the topic just for a few minutes on the topic today, the grace that changes, the grace that changes. Two times the word grace is mentioned in three verses. We're going to get to the word grace here in a moment. I believe that we as believers in here today have been given the power by the Holy Spirit to be changed in the middle of our circumstances. I believe that often our circumstances are because of our own choosing. Sometimes they're not. And I do not want to stand and say that all of our circumstances will be changed. I don't think that's true. But I do believe that as the Lord changes us in the middle of our circumstances, that oftentimes grace will change our circumstances. The grace the Lord gives us is the necessary ingredient in the, in the cake of salvation as the Lord begins to stir a passion for His name around in our heart. Grace becomes the necessary ingredient to really change us from the inside out and oftentimes change the very circumstances that we have caused. Have you ever caused a bad situation in your life because you chose something sinfully? I have. In the Old Testament, there are periods of time when we see that evil uh, takes over the heart of man and causes some really terrible things to take place. When mankind is left for himself, the Lord doesn't hold mankind back from choosing sin. God has made us creatures of choice. And then because of sin, unless there is an outside force the Holy Spirit, to wake us up, we will naturally choose sin. You ain't got to teach your kid to sin. Let them go. They're going to sin. They are. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a heart that is inclined toward sin. God, in Genesis chapter number 6, is grieved that He has created mankind. Mankind is so wicked that every thought that mankind wants to do they do. 
There is evil across the state of the world in Genesis chapter 6, and God brings about his judgment. I know that we decorate our nurseries with Noah's Ark, uh, uh, memorabilia, and, and pictures, and, and all this stuff on the wall, but that is a very gruesome story, right? It really is. Because the, the, the wrath of the Lord sets down on the face of the earth because man has done everything evil that his mind could think of. Only one family is righteous during Genesis chapter 6 and God chooses to save that family. One family. Judges chapter 17 verse 6 describes a time. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Ruth. It's set during the time of the Judges. It's a very dark time in, in Israel's history. Because everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Judges 17 verse 6. Can you imagine that? Everyone doing what is right by their own standard. Can you imagine that? Years ago, I went with Erin and she got a pedicure. Now, I'm a man. I don't get pedicures. I stayed off to the side. I would never do that. And so I watched Erin get a pedicure and I read like, you know, Alabama Game and Fish off to the side. I would never do such a thing, right? God forgive me. <laughs> so there was a woman sitting next to me. She had a wonderful accent. And so I had to get her story about where she came from. She was from the country of Czechoslovakia. And she had escaped with her family from her communist country as communist, communism began to take over during the time. She was an elderly woman by the time that I got her story. And she lived over in the, um, oh, good grief, the retirement home, assisted living home over in Hoover, the Woodlands. I think it's the Woodlands. Am I right about that? No, that's not right. I can't think of the name. I'll think of the name here in a minute. She was detained as, uh, with a little girl, as a little girl and her family were detained crossing the border into Germany. And eventually her family made their way to America. I asked, and this is not a, a sermon about nationalism or anything, but I love my country and I believe that the Lord has allowed us to have wonderful freedom in our country. I asked her, why America? This is total side note. But she said that this was the land of opportunity and she'll never forget how her family constantly discussed opportunity in America. Evidently they had done well because she lived in a very nice assisted living area in Hoover. She began to talk to me about her faith and her first encounter with the gospel was as a refugee little girl in Germany when they crossed the border and the church of all places stepped up to receive refugees running from communism. She sat in that church and she looked at the stained glass windows. If you know anything about the history of Christianity, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people could not read the Bible. The Bible was written in Latin. Average Joe could not read Latin. The church did not want average Joe to read Latin. And so to help people understand the Bible, the church would put pictures in the stained glass windows of the gospel. 
And then the stories of the Bible would be told off of the stained glass windows. You can visit those churches even today. This little girl sat in a church with a language barrier and she looked at the stained glass window and was terrified of the man on the tree, as she put it. And as tears began to roll down her face, a German priest sat down beside her and walking through the language barrier, she remembered for the first time hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. She looked at the window and was terrified because she recognized this as a part of Hitler's concentration camps, the gossip of Hitler that had spread her way. And so she was utterly terrified. But when the priest began to explain the message of salvation and the seed of the gospel was put into her heart, she got saved. As we talked about the gospel, this is another side note. I'll never forget. It was during election time. I'll never forget this. She went into this. I didn't ask, but I'm throwing it out here as fact that she said it. She said, quote, I'm warning you that everything that Bernie Sanders stands for is what I escaped from in Czechoslovakia. End quote. Do with that what you will. But she said her family was escaping a place where the depravity of man became overwhelming. I tell you this story because I think the same is true of the Old Testament as it is today. Here's the truth. When you and me are left to ourselves, when you and me are left to our own desires, without the grace of the Lord, we will make our lives worse than they are right now. We will choose sin and dig a deeper hole that we could never get out of. I remember being in a hunting club with some of the men that are in here. We had a stand. I think it was number six on a power line. And I used to walk out to that power line a few times. Uh, one time I walked out to that power line stand getting ready to hunt. And it had rained all night long. And I walked out early in the morning. It was dark. I had my flashlight. And I was walking through this, this cutover trail. And the whole road was red mud. Anybody ever walked in red mud? The more I walked, the more mud I got on my boots. My feet began to be so heavy. I would stop. I would see a pine tree. And, and, and like when you get something on the bottom of your foot that you don't want to get on the bottom of your foot, right? I'd get that pine tree and I'd start, I'd start trying to get the red mud off my boots. It was so caked on that I would kick it off and it would sling everywhere in the road. The problem was, when I took the very next step, my feet were caked up with it uh, just like I had never done anything. See, that's, that's really how sin works. You can't kick the sin off of you. It cakes up on your feet. The more you walk in it, the more it cakes up. You can't make good decisions good enough to get out of your sin. You need the grace. I need the grace of the Lord. Have you ever gone on your own way and made things worse in your life? Have you ever gone on your own way in life knowing it's wrong, but you chose to go anyway because your pride, my pride, was too good to say, whoa, 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 whoa. this ain't right. I got to go back. Pride will prevent us from repentance of sin. 
Paul closes this chapter out talking about grace. And I want you to see something in the text today because I think it's incredible. Grace has infiltrated the household of a very depraved man. The good news has worked itself, verse 22, into Caesar's household. This is probably the emperor Nero that Paul is talking about, probably riding from Rome here, stuck in a Roman household, Caesar's household, chained to an imperial guard that gets, that gets rotated out every six hours, chained to a guy. So for six hours I'm chained to Powers. Powers rotates out with Justin for six hours. I'm chained to Justin. Another six hours, I'm chained to Brandon. Another six hours, I'm chained to Lee Pody back there. And as Paul is chained to these, to these Roman guards, the household which Caesar lives in begins to hear the gospel. History describes Nero as a sinfully extravagant man. If he fought it, he did it. If he fought it and did it, he was rich enough to keep doing it. If he dreamed it, he did it. Nero murders his mother, murders several wives. Nero consummates marriages in front of his wedding parties. Get that. Sick, disgusting. The Bible is sick. The Bible is disgusting at times because it deals with the sinfulness of man. Man, man's heart, man's mind is, is, is utterly depraved apart from Jesus Christ. And so Nero was, was extreme in all of his sins. Nero hated Christianity. Nero would impale Christians, stick a, 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 a tree up their backside. He would dip them in tar and light Christians on fire to be torches for his garden. He had a racetrack. He lit up his racetrack with Christians on fire. And here in our text, we find out that some of the people who are closest to Nero closest to Caesar in his very household have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel, like a, like a weed in a crack in the driveway, has sprung forth in the household. The household folk are probably, uh, probably employed people by him, chefs, food tasters, housekeepers, slaves, some of the lowest of the low in the household, Maybe some of his personal court lawyers or judges, possibly, musicians, financial advisors, people that are, that are around Nero all of the time have turned their life over to Christ. And what I think is taking place here is Paul was being an instrument used by God to lead the house workers to Christ. And as he is chained to these prisoners, they begin to hear about Jesus and they begin to get saved. That's what Jesus does. He finds some of the most depraved places and sits right down in the middle of it. Look at the cross, if you will. Hung in the middle of two thieves. Why two thieves? Why two murderers there? Why is Jesus of all, of all places, why is he stuck in the middle of criminals, because that's what the gospel does. The gospel seeks the most 
the, the, the person who cares nothing about God, that's who the gospel seeks after. And oftentimes the gospel finds that person and radically changes their life. This is very significant that individuals in Caesar's household turn toward Christ. And they begin to greet. Did you catch that? They greet the brothers and sisters that are in Philippi. This is what the gospel does. It changes folks. I want to pause right here and say this. That we as believers in 2023 in America are so soft in comparison to the Christians that are in this text. These believers in the house of Caesar, listen to me. They could have died, and often they did, for saying Jesus is Lord. Because the, the motto of the day was that Caesar is Lord. And they didn't say Caesar is Lord anymore when Jesus saved their heart. Jesus became their Lord. He owned them. And they would have died if this had have gotten out in front of anybody. They were standing for Christ. And I just want to say, just a side note of the sermon today, we are the most pansiest Christians probably on the face of the earth at any given point in history. Dear God, please send missionaries here if we're not willing to stand for Christ because we get our feelings hurt so easily in America. Do you honestly realize that people have gotten their feelings hurt over the most simplest of things inside the body of Christ and instead of offering grace over to someone that probably really needs it, instead what they said is, I'm done. I'm out of this place. And I'll never go back ever again. Now, I want you to think about that. I've seen a wonderful picture roll around that said, I praise God, something to the effect of, I'm so thankful that the other 11 disciples didn't decide to give up on Jesus because of Judas. Because that's exactly how the church operates. I can't believe Mike said that to me. I can't believe Powers wouldn't let me sing or wouldn't let me do something. Or I can't believe the way Justin uh, uh, operated things in that way. I can't believe the way Sunday school was. I can't but Fill in the blank. We are the most pansiest Christians I, I think that history has ever seen. I, I remember when I had this fear in high school. If you're in high school, look at me. I remember when I had this fear when I was your age, sitting in a pew week in and week out because I went to church. My daddy made me go to church. How dare his daddy make him go to church? What a horrific father. You need to let your children choose whether or not they're going to be religious or not. That is absolute garbage. If you profess your, uh, Jesus Christ in your household, take your kids to church. If they don't want to go to church, let them make that decision when they move out. Be the man of your household. Lead your family. But I remember those days. Daddy, I'm sick. We're going in there and throw up. And then after you get to feeling better, wipe your face off and we're going to go on to church. Now, he wasn't that harsh. He wasn't that harsh. But I, but, but I remember those days. But, but I really remember the days where God started grabbing a hold of my heart. And I was 16, 17 years old. And I, I, I honestly believe that God was getting me ready to go into ministry. And, and I remember having this fear inside of me. Because I had a lot of friends in those days. Some of these friends are, are in here today. And, and, and I remember having really two sets of friends. I had church friends. And I had friends that cared nothing about Jesus at all. 
And I remember experiencing this. I, I played football just like some of you guys. Uh, I remember feeling the weight of wh- what's going to happen when these folks I go to school with find out that I really love Jesus Christ. And I remember experiencing this fear at a lot of friends that did a lot of things that weren't of God. And, and I hung out with them and, and I would get left out of things because it got out that I was going to be a pastor. I was going to preach. And so nobody likes to drink with their pastor. If you want that, there are denominations where you can do that. Most of them are really jacked up. Just be honest with you. And so I would get left out of things, and I remember feeling the weight of all of this in my life and the fear of what's going to happen when my church friends, that I'm rock solid for Jesus, meet my non-church friends. And and I just read this text, and 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 I'm thinking that this is the worst that we have to worry about when Caesar's household may have died for the faith. For saying Jesus is Lord. We may be the most pansiest Christians at any given point in history right here in the United States of America. We have brothers and sisters all around the world that walk miles and miles and miles to be at church. Somebody said, I wonder if you cleared the stage off and you had none of this. I saw the, I saw the post. Uh, uh, Paula put it up. If you cleared the stage and you had none of this, some of you, I can hear some people in churches go, yes, down with the lights, down with the guitar, down with the contemporary, you missed it, down with the piano, down with the pulpit, down with every preference you like. That you say church has to be like this. Down with all of it. The pews. The chairs. Anything that you absolutely love because I sat with mama and dealt with it. Or anything that you absolutely love. Like down with the old school stuff. In with the new school stuff. You people that are new are just as hard to please as the old folks who who want the old stuff. You're not listening to me. Down with all of it. Would the house of God still be here and the people still show up if we had no air conditioning? It was 95 degrees on a Sunday morning. Probably not because I can just watch it at home in my pajamas. These brothers and sisters were giving it all away for the cause of Christ. If you're lost in here, this is really not a sermon for you, but let me spin it for you just a little bit. Come to Christ. You ready? Come to Christ, not because life is easy, but because you'll have to give it all away. That was a long side note. Let me move on in the sermon. Grace not only infiltrates the house of Caesar, but if you look at the text, grace also covers and changes. Not only covers, but it also changes. I got to move fast. I got to move fast. Grace changes us. 124 times the word grace is used in the New Testament alone. The Apostle Paul is called the Apostle of Grace. He talks about grace nonstop. It's the Greek word charis. And some of you even named your kid charis. It's a wonderful word. 
It means the favor of God, unmerited favor of God. We just sing about the unmerited favor of the Lord. And now, because of Christ, we have been given this grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says that we have been justified by grace. Romans 5, verse 15 says that if any man, uh, uh, if one man died through one man's, if many died through one man's transgressions, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounds for many. So grace comes into our life. It saves us. We like talking about grace. We like talking about the fact that we have sinned and grace has covered us. You can't earn grace. It's a free gift. God offers grace to anyone in here freely. Every one of your sins can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ freely that is offered to you for anyone that looks to Christ and is willing to repent and willing to come to him and say, you own me now. God offers you grace today. It's wonderful. We love talking about grace for us. We have a hard time extending grace to somebody else. Amazing how we want the forgiveness of God in my life, but I'm not willing to give the forgiveness of God to somebody else. Isn't that really amazing? Grace covers. But the Bible also speaks, and it's oftentimes left aside, that grace not only covers, but it changes. We're not the same after we experience the grace of the Lord. We fall in love with Jesus and he changes our heart. And that change is a never-ending process. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. It's sanctification. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. Can we put that on the screen? Watch this. Hang in here with me. This is good. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that not only your sins are covered, but that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So grace comes in and covers, and then grace comes in and calls us into good works. Calls us into making changes in our life. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Look at this particular text. Look what the Bible says here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly at my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest. What's the Bible saying here? The Bible is saying that oftentimes there are circumstances that I can't change, but that grace comes into my life and is sufficient to meet my needs in the middle of that terrible circumstance. Grace has this effect. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Look what Titus says. For the grace of God has appeared. Yeah, Jesus. Bringing salvation to all people. Verse 12, look what grace does. Grace trains us. Trains us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What's interesting about the word trained there? It's really the idea that grace wrestles with us. It pushes us. It pulls us. It's like the, it's like the guy that gets out in front of, I, I've seen Billy Joe's got a donkey at his house. That thing comes running when you come out. It does. I, I've, seen, I've seen, there were two donkeys, right? But now is there one? And, and it's got the cross on the back. It's really cool. Uh, been over there. I've seen this donkey come out. I, I've seen Billy Joe grab a rope on that donkey. And I've seen that donkey sit down. And Billy Joe's just pulling on this donkey, trying to get it out of this fence. I've seen, I really have never seen that. But that's the image there. 
That's the image. I've seen Wanda do that to Billy Joe, by the way. <laughs> Lorraine McCoy is nodding her head. She's seen it too. It's the image. It's the image of, of grace is the lasso that God uses when I get stubborn to begin to pull me in his direction. You would be lost if it wasn't for the lasso of God's grace. There's been several times where Aaron and I uh, have gone on small trips, overnighters, a couple of times on overnighters uh, or dates. Aaron has come home and she said, uh, and when she's come home, uh, I've just looked at her and said, hey, I've got something planned. You, you need to get dressed and, and get changed. If she's coming home from school, like on a Friday, um, you know, we're, we got some, I got somewhere I want to go that I want to carry you. And, uh, and, you know, if it's an overnighter, I say, hey, you need to pack a bag. And, uh, or if we're just going somewhere, I say, hey, you need to change. And, and you would think that, that that's a pretty easy thing to say uh, and an easy thing for Aaron to do. But immediately, uh, Aaron looks at me and says, uh, okay, what do I need to wear, right? What do I need to wear? And, uh, and, and so... Uh, Got a lot of thoughts in my mind right now that I'm cutting out. They're, they're, they're not right here. And so we're cutting those thoughts out. And, uh, but I'll say something like, you know, hey, if we're going to a, a nicer restaurant, hey, you may want to put on a dress. If, you know, we're, um, you know, I don't know, it, whatever we're doing, you may want to go in this direction. We're going to be outdoors. We're going to be inside, whatever. So we walk through that just for a second. And even though Erin doesn't know where we're going, uh, she believes Hear me now. Hear me now. And just a side note, men, we're responsible for our relationships with our wives and our families. Date your wife. Quit being so predictable. I promise you someone at Fitness 1440 wants to date your wife. It's just a fact. I promise you, someone at the ballpark wants to date your wife. And so even though she doesn't know where I'm going, she believes in the one that's, that's arranging the details of the date, arranging the details of the future. Please hear me. Please hear me. Grace will carry you on trips sometimes. You do not know your destination. You do not have the details that are way out in front of you. But grace will look at us and, it will, and grace will say, you need to take this next step. And we get with God and we say, hey, God, what are the details? God says, eh, not giving you any of those details. You just need to take this first step. And we sit back and we're hearing, we're seeing grace tell us to take a step. And we want to know where grace is carrying us. But we don't know where grace is carrying us. But I'm here to tell you, you always can trust the heart of God when he begins to pull you in that direction. You always can trust him. You always can trust him. In fact, I will tell you this. If you never experience grace calling you to go on a trip, even a trip you don't like, if you don't experience grace calling you to go on a trip every once in a while, then you may not have grace. You need to call on the Lord for salvation. 
Let me move quickly. Grace begins to cover. Grace begins to change us. Grace, grace calls us to say no to ungodliness. There is so much there to unpack. You, you want to know the reason? You want to know the reason that I write things out on Facebook and then I go, eh, delete, 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 delete. Grace. That's why. Grace. You want to know the reason why Erin and I uh, share, share finances and she's able to see everything that I spend and, and I'm able to see everything that she spends? You want to know a lot of, why we do that? Really, one of the reasons is because her money is my money and my money is her money, so it's our money, and so we're accountable. to one, Some of y'all need to be accountable to your own spouse here. I'm serious. Um, but one of the reasons that we do that is because grace tells me to say no to ungodliness in my life. Rebellion tells me to say yes to ungodliness. I got to move on. I got to move on. When you see this picture in our text today, you really see the picture of grace. I'm going to close with this. You really see the picture of grace in this word saint. Paul closes this letter with the word saint. Did y'all see that in the text? The word saint, we don't really use this word a lot. Two times in two verses, the word saint is used. He uses the word saint to describe uh, all the people in, Philipp in Philippi. And then he uses the word saint to describe all of those people that are around him and to describe the Christians that are in Caesar's household. The word saint is used. Did y'all see that in the text? It's really a cool word, but most of us use it like this. Well, I'm not a saint, but I go to church. Well, I'm not a saint. I love Jesus. I cuss every once in a while, but I'm not a saint, right? A lot of us don't want to use the word saint because we think that it comes across as arrogance. And the last thing we want to be is spiritually arrogant or spiritually hypocritical. And so we don't really use this word. And I'm not saying that we should use this word, but Paul certainly uses this word. I want to pick on this just for a second because I think it's wrong theology. The Roman Catholic Church has a process to declare someone a saint. Did y'all know this? For someone to be declared a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to die first. None of these believers had died yet, by the way. They're called saints. When you die, there's a five-year time frame before your congregation there can present your life and the works of your life over to Rome to be analyzed and critiqued for being possibly a saint. There has to be a verified miracle in your life to take place where you prayed for something and then something miraculous took place for that to happen. Do you think miracles take place? Yes, I do. You think, I mean, crazy miracles have happened, things that would blow your mind of biblical proportions still take place today? No doubt about it. Do you think some of these people that have been declared saints in the Roman Catholic Church loved God and saw miraculous things take place? I do. But I think the process of declaring someone a saint, according to the Roman Catholic Church, is completely unbiblical. Finally, the Pope makes a final declaration after all of this is, is looked over. The Pope makes this person a saint. Some people wear necklaces of saints because they believe that saints intercede in heaven for them. You have one mediator, by the way, in heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. I love my grandmother. I love her. But I don't pray to my grandmother. My grandmother loved God, but my grandmother didn't die on a cross. 
My grandmother loved Jesus. But my grandmother didn't raise from the dead. Now one day she'll have a resurrection. But it's only because of Jesus Christ. I hold my granddaddy's gun and hunt with it. I love it. It's a 30 out 6 It absolutely hurts when I shoot this gun. I love the gun. Would never give it up. It's not even an expensive gun. It's not. But when I hold this gun in my hand, my granddaddy doesn't speak to me. I remember a lot of things, but my granddaddy is not in heaven. By the grace of Jesus Christ, he is not in heaven interceding for Hey, Jesus, look down there at Mike. Please give him a blessing. That ain't going on, folks. I know you think it is. When I see a red bird cross the road going to the corn that I have on the ground, that red bird is not my grandfather. I know that hurts feelings. I'm not here to pad, to, 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 to pad your feelings this morning. Do I think that it's cool? Yes. According to the text, a saint is someone who has been made holy by God. It's someone who has been set apart by Jesus, I'm here to tell you this morning, when, when grace gets into our lives, grace sets us apart to look more and more like God as the days go by. Amens out of the mouths of infants. The word grace powers as you begin to come. The word grace translates to the holy ones or saint translates to the word holy the holy ones of God you say well I'm not holy well from a heavenly standpoint Christ has made you holy the question is are you living that out and if you're not repent but if God has made you holy then he has separated you how how does God do this work of holiness by grace by grace and he is using everything in your life to do that. Everything. This new identity in Jesus is transforming so that grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. The question is, do you have grace? And if you've never called on the name of the Lord, then today is the day of salvation for some of you. Would you call on Christ? If you're here today and you say, Mike, I know Jesus, but I'm living in sin, then would you repent? Would you repent and come to Christ? Say, Jesus, here I am again. Would you change me? Would you cover my sin and would you change me? I don't know where you are this morning spiritually, but I know this. I know that grace is able to change. Changes the people in the scripture. Changes men and women today. I can look all around this place today and see men and women who have been changed by grace. Would you allow the grace of the Lord Jesus to change you? Say, will I be changed today? A little bit. About this much. Then about this much tomorrow and about this much tomorrow. Will my circumstances change today? Maybe not. But maybe, maybe about this much, about this much tomorrow, about this much tomorrow. I can't make those promises about circumstances changing, but I will say this, oftentimes circumstances change because of grace. 
Would you present yourself to the Lord and say, God, would you make me holy by your grace? That's what he sent Jesus Christ to do. If you're lost in here, run to Christ. He loves you, wants to change your life. If you're willing to give it all to him, maybe today is the day of salvation. God changes you. Father God, we thank you so much for grace. We pray that this marvelous grace would change us. Help us to say no to ungodliness. Would help us to do good works, Father. God, you would cover our sin. Maybe someone in here needs their sin covered today. God, I pray that you would do that. We love you. We adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.